Oh, God, I just love to share your word. I love to share your word. I thank you, Holy Spirit. It's all you. It's none of me. It's all of you. And I just look forward to sharing what you've given for me to share tonight. So the title of this message is not like Cindy. Usually the message exactly, you know exactly what I'm teaching when you read the title. This title is one that God gave me (laughs) in a dream. The title of the message is Rocket Fuel Prayer. Rocket Fuel Prayer. I'll explain as I teach. But I dreamed this last week. This is the third time in my life that God has shown me something about the message that I'm teaching in a dream. And this is, this is pretty cool. So my, my original plan was to teach about um, James 5.16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. But in my dream, God showed me this analogy of rocket fuel prayer. So let me explain. I actually, after I woke up and I saw myself teaching about rocket fuel prayer, I had to have my husband help me because I wasn't quite sure what rocket fuel was. So I had to ask my husband, my amazing husband who's back there doing sound. So here's the gist of it. Fuel is very different, different kinds of fuel. And the the least powerful fuel is E85. And it's a fuel that is 85% octane. After that, fuel goes up in the number or the percentage of octane. So we have regular gas. That's what I put in my car. We have mid-grade gas. We have premium gas. And everyone has more percentage of octane. The most pure form of fuel that we can purchase is racing fuel. Racing fuel is 100% octane. And here's what's awesome about as you increase in these degrees of fuel is that the more pure the fuel, the more powerful the fuel. You might want to write that one down. The more pure the fuel, the more powerful. Well, the most pure fuel we can buy for our vehicles is racing fuel, and I probably you can't buy that except in certain places or certain you know um, situations if you're a race car driver. But God didn't say racing fuel. God said rocket fuel. So Kent and I were talking. Well, what's rocket fuel? Well, first of all, you can't buy rocket fuel. Second of all, it's completely different. It's not made of the same components that the other fuels are made of. It is. I want to write down, read what I wrote to you. It is completely a different formulation than any other fuel. And when rocket fuel is ignited, there is tremendous thrust and power. So when rocket fuel, this is what God gave me, prayer, this prayer I'm talking about tonight is like rocket fuel. It has tremendous thrust and power. Not like anything that we put in our own earthly vehicles. And rocket fuel, as we know, especially if you're from my generation, when the rockets didn't just go into the atmosphere and, and fly um, in the circumference of the earth. No, they went out of the atmosphere completely all the way to the moon. That thrust of the rocket fuel went from earth out of the earth's atmosphere. It was so very powerful. So we're talking about rocket fuel prayer. Prayer that is completely not worldly. Prayer that is the most powerful force 
But it's not an earthly force or a worldly force. It's spiritual. It's not part of our atmosphere or part of what we can do on our own humanity. It's way bigger than that. And when we pray this effectual fervent prayer, or as God showed me, this rocket fuel prayer, it takes us from here on earth to heaven, to bring heaven back to earth in our lives. Isn't that cool? So that's what I'm going to share about tonight is effective prayer, rocket fuel prayer, the most powerful force on the world. So in the box at the top of your handout, if you don't have a handout there on the little table back there, so the little box on the top of the prayer just gives a little def, I'm sorry, the little box on the top of your paper gives a little definition of prayer. It says prayer is communion with God. Prayer is communing with him, communication with him. It's very intimate It's very personal. In my life, before I developed a personal relationship with God, my prayer life wasn't very personal and very intimate because I was praying to a far-off God instead of an up-close, personal God. But that's not what God wants. He wants us in that personal, intimate relationship with him. So prayer is when we turn our heart to the living God and his heart Is there available for us? I'm going to start with Hebrews 4.16, which is one of those precious words of God that talks about this proximity we have to God. It says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. The Bible says we can come confidently and boldly to the throne of God. That's what we do when we pray. We're not praying to a distant God. We're coming to his very throne, face to face, heart to heart, with his arms wide open, just ready to wrap around you and draw you closer. In the old covenant, that's not the way it was. In the Old Covenant, I'm reading Leviticus. In fact, I just finished Leviticus this morning. And there's this whole instruction that Moses got about the tabernacle and about the place of worship. And in that tabernacle, there was the holy place. And then there was the most holy place. And there was a veil that separated man from God. There was a veil And only one man, the high priest, only one man could go into that most holy place only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And then with all kinds of sacrificial system in place and all kinds of cleaning and cleanliness and becoming holy, becoming purified. That's the only way he could go in there or else he would have died in the presence of God. In that most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And that is where the blood of the sacrificial animal was sprinkled to atone for the sin. But only one man could go there once a year. There was separation. Until Jesus became the unblemished lamb of God who offered himself as the sacrificial lamb. And the blood of Jesus, instead of being on that mercy seat, which was only a shadow of the one to come, Jesus' blood was, was sprinkled, poured on the mercy seat in heaven. And when that happened, this is what happened in the natural. Would you go to the next scripture, Count? 
This is from the Gospel of of Mark, chapter 15. This is when Jesus died. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. That's the veil that was separating the holy place from the most holy place. And when Jesus died, this is, this is amazing. That veil that separated us, that veil that separated man from God was torn, not from bottom top, not just in two, but from heaven to earth. And now, go back to the previous scripture, please. Now, because of that, we can go boldly to the throne of the grace of God. And it says, when we're there, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what we do in prayer. We go to God in our time of need. We go to God whatever's going on, and he wants us to go there with the big things and the little things and everything in between, just like we want our own children to come to us with everything that's on their heart, everything that they need. We want them to come to us. That's what our Father wants. So there's two things that he says he gives us. The first one is mercy. Mercy means that we don't get what we deserve. I don't know about you, but I've had lots of times in my life when I have messed up big time. My priorities were so out of whack early in my life. God was way, 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 way down on the list. And as I'm reading right now in the Old Testament, the the curses and the blessings, boy, I would have been under the curse all the way. I had so many idols in my life, and that's the number one commandment. Love the Lord your God and don't have idols. But I had all kinds of idols, and I don't mean idols that I was worshiping. I mean stuff in my life that was more important than God. So we've all been there. We've all had it. But God says that we receive mercy. That means we don't get what we deserve. The reason we don't get what we deserve is because he paid the penalty that I owed. And because he paid the penalty, now I'm righteous. I didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. Jesus did it. And I've received it because I believe in him. That's my only part is believing. So we receive mercy, but that's not all. We also, re- we also find grace. Grace means we get what we don't deserve. We get this amazing gift that we don't deserve. And the gift of grace is huge. I've taught on that magnificent, multifaceted gift of grace in the past, and I'm not going to teach on all of those precious parts of the gift of grace. But I will say that healing is part of the grace of God. Jesus paid for our healing when he took those stripes on his back. The Bible says it. I'm going to give you three pieces of biblical evidence in case you've never heard that. The first piece of biblical evidence is Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. The second piece is Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. And that's where the prophetic word from Isaiah was fulfilled through Jesus. The third piece is 1 Peter 2, 24. When Peter was looking back at the finished work of Jesus and, and telling the, 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 um, the people about the amazing finished work of Jesus and the stripes that he took on his back. That's just one piece. There's so many other pieces of evidence, but that's just one. So he gave us grace. 
this free gift. And when we go, my scripture disappeared again. When we go to that throne of grace, when we go to God in prayer, that's what we receive. We receive his mercy. We receive his grace. And he wants us to come boldly before his throne of grace in prayer. So the next scripture is James 5.16. And this is the one that we're going to keep coming back to today. The prayer is, it's a, this scripture is pretty um, um, well known. The scripture says that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I want to define a few of those words. The first one is the word righteous. That refers to believers. There's two definitions of righteous in the Bible. One means this, this state of being that we have as believers. Not because of what we've done, but because of the blood of Jesus. We have become righteous. We have become the righteousness of Christ. The other meaning of righteous or righteousness is acts of righteousness. Acts of looking like this inside being that we are created in. But the, this word means our state of being. So the fervent, effective prayer of a believer, of a righteous man avails much. Now I want to define effective and fervent, and this is on your sheet. This is one Greek word. These two English words are only one word in the original language, and the word is energeo. It's the same word that our English word energy comes from. And that word means operative. It means to put forth power or to effect something, to have an effect. This kind of prayer has an effect. This kind of prayer is active, energizing, operative. And because this kind of prayer has an effect... It's very powerful, and that's what that word avails much means. It is powerful. It is strong. A fervent prayer, an effective a rocket fuel prayer, and we're going to talk about different kind of prayers. We're going to talk about E85 prayers that are puny, that aren't pure, that aren't very powerful. And then we're going to go all the way, and we're going to talk about rocket fuel prayer. Powerful, powerful, effective, fervent prayer, this kind of prayer. I don't know about you, but when I pray, I want to see God's will come to pass in my life. When I pray, I want to see my prayer having an effect on the situation. Do you too? Absolutely, we all do. So before I talk about what that effective prayer, I'm going, to, I'm going to do my best to teach about how to pray that effective prayer. But first I want to talk about the E85 kind of prayer. Some of the puny, ineffective, powerless anemic, weak kinds of prayer. I'm going I'm to talk about four of them, three of them right now, and then one of them later in this message. So here they are. Here's the first one. The first ineffective prayer is a passive prayer. Pastor Tim, my mentor, says, wimps get wasted. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard him teach that. But a passive prayer is a prayer where you're sitting back waiting for God to do the work. It's a K-sera-sera prayer. Whatever will be, will be. It's a prayer where you're saying, well, God has everything already planned. He knows the beginning from the end, so I'm just going to sit back and, and wait for him to do his work. Well, here's the bottom line. 
He has done the work. It's finished. It is 100% complete. It was completed when Jesus paid the price on the cross. It was completed when he took the stripes on his back. It's a done deal. But he has called us to agree with him. So if we're sitting back passively waiting for God to do a work he's already done, it is a powerless prayer. He's called us to partner with him. You're going to hear this over and over tonight. And if you're not walking and stepping into that partnership, it is a powerless, puny, ineffective prayer. So passivity is dangerous. The second kind of ineffective prayer or powerless prayer is an incorrect prayer that isn't agreeing with God. And it's often because of a lack of knowledge. If you don't know God's will about a certain thing, and you're praying that, you know, a prayer that doesn't agree with God's will, it's ineffective. We're going to see over and over where God says, if you pray according to my will. So if you don't know his will, or if you're out of agreement for some reason with his will, if you're agreeing with the situation, if you're agreeing with the experience, if you're agreeing with other people who don't know the word of God instead of with God, it's an ineffective prayer. Here's an example. Lord, if it's your will, heal me. The reason I say that's ineffective is because according to the word of God, it is his will to heal. It is his will to heal. Jesus healed everybody when he walked on this earth. Jesus healed all who were in need when he walked on this earth. There are 17 accounts of him healing individuals. There are seven, I'm sorry, there are 23 accounts of him healing individuals in the four gospels. And many of them are repeated in more than one gospel. And then there are 17 more accounts where he healed everyone who was in need. He never said, it's not my will to heal you. He never told anybody that. He never said, you're a sinner, go get saved first. Or go get yourself cleaned up and then come back. He never said that. He often healed the sinners. And then after they were healed, he said, go and sin no more. There were two instances where that happened in the Bible. He never said, I'm teaching you a lesson. He never said, this is to glorify me. This sickness is to glorify me. No, he never said any of that. What did he do? He healed. And Jesus is the perfect reflection of the heart of God. Colossians 1, I believe it's verse 15, says that he is the visible representation of the invisible. Hebrews 1, verse 3, says something very similar, that he is the reflection of God. He's a reflection of the heart of God. So when we see Jesus, we see the will of God. It's God's will to heal. So if we're praying, God, if it's your will... We're not agreeing with his, God, with his word. What I pray is, God, let your will be done here. I know it's your will to heal, so healing be, healing come. I pray the will of God for healing. I pray healing. That's the will of God. So if you're praying something that's not in agreement with God's word, it's an ineffective prayer. Here's the third ineffective or anemic. I'm calling this one anemic. Puny. This prayer is a prayer of desperation. 
Now, let me define it, because sometimes Pastor Tim says it's important to be desperate. But I, when I think of that, I think uh, it's important to be, act, <clears throat> to be active, to take action in your healing. But a prayer of desperation is a prayer of pleading with God or begging God to do something he's already done. It's a finished work. So when we're pleading or saying, God, you have to do something, he's sitting there saying, I already did it, guys. Many times we say, I'm waiting on God. When God's saying, oh, no, I'm waiting on you. I've done it all. So what he's waiting on is for us to stand up and to take that fervent prayer by the, by the, the whatever, grab hold of it, <laughs> grab hold of it and go and pray that fervent prayer of a righteous man. I'm going to give you an example of what Jesus did in a situation where he could have freaked out, a situation where he could have went to God and said, oh my God, I don't know what to do. Help me, help me, help me. But he didn't do that. This is, the, this is the account where Jesus had, he was at the, the Mount of Beatitudes, and he had thousands and thousands of people there that he was teaching. In the midst of that, they'd been there all day. In fact, I think it was more than one day. I'm not sure about that. But there were five, the Bible says there were 5,000 men, and there were probably many more thousands of people, if you count the women and the children. So there were many thousands of people. And it there it's late they have a long walk to get back to wherever they can get food and he knows they need food but he doesn't freak out he doesn't plead and beg with god he doesn't say god help me what am i going to do this is what he does luke 5 verse 16 he took i'm sorry verse yeah luke 9 verse 16 then he took the five loaves and the two fish he looked up to heaven gave thanks and he blessed them. He broke them and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. So in that situation, he took the bread. He thanked God for what he had. He prayed a blessing. Last week I talked about the power of the prayer of blessing. He blessed that bread. And then in faith, he started to distribute it to the apostles who then distributed it to the people. And he just believed his father with very simple believing. He was taking action. He, was, he wasn't in desperation. He was praying a powerful prayer. So there is a, a little nugget in the middle of your paper, <clears throat> or maybe it's at the bottom. It's the one that starts with, God does not withhold anything from us. I wanted to put this on your paper because this is something you probably want to go home and read about 10 times and ask God to help you to understand it in an even deeper way. So the bottom line is God doesn't withhold anything from us that has been provided through Jesus. He's not withholding it. But when we pray passively, or we don't know his will, or we pray in desperation, or maybe there's some other thing that it's getting in the way of your agreeing with God, when that happens, he can't get that thing that we're praying for to us. We have to work with him, even though the work is provided. In other words, he finished his part, but we have to partner with him. So the promises in the word are guaranteed. We're going to look at that scripture. We're going to look at two or three scriptures that say that today. His promises are guaranteed, but they're not automatic. 
because we have to come into agreement with him in order for those to be set loose. I like to think of, um, this is one of Andrew Womack's visuals that really helps me. He says that everything that God has paid for is our inheritance. If we have received Jesus, if we've received his sacrifice and received him as our savior, everything that he purchased is ours. And it's in the spiritual realm, but it might not yet be in our natural life. So when we believe, when we're going to talk about how effectual prayer helps us to come into that place of agreement and believing God, when we believe, that's the bridge that brings it from that spiritual realm into our natural life or into the reality of the life that we're living. So that's what we're going to look at now. Effectual, fervent prayer or rocket fuel prayer. Now, what I've done is I've just prayed into this. I've looked at the different pieces of the teaching that I know is powerful in prayer and how I pray and how some of my mentors have have taught me and showed me, and I kind of put it together for you. Please don't think you have to follow a formula when you pray because that's not what this is all about. This is to teach you components of praying that effectual, fervent prayer. There are five pieces that we're going to look at today. The first one, and this one I always do first in my prayer. The first one is to praise God. My prayer starts with praise. My prayer always looks to God first. I'm not looking at the problem or the prayer request. When you come to me with your prayer request, that's not my first focus. My first focus is God. So my first focus is to put my eyes, my heart, my focus on God on who he is, on the character of God, and especially the component of his character that I'm needing. Is it peace I'm needing? Is it healing I'm needing? Is it provision I'm needing? Is it a a repair of a relationship that I'm needing? Is it his love that I'm needing? What is it that I'm in need of? Whatever it is, I really focus on that part of God's character. And there's always scripture for every one of those. So I look at what the word says, who he is. I look at what the word says he's done. And I look at what I've seen God do in my own life. So I bring those things to my remembrance. Maybe a a testimony. Maybe part of my own testimony or something that he's just done that's just taken me just to this place of awe. And I reflect on that. Now, the reason, well, let me, let me read this scripture first. This is Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with a song of thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Bless and praise his name. So this is saying, this is how we enter. This is how we enter into that throne room. This is how we come to God, come to his courts, come through his gates with praise and thanksgiving. I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving in a few minutes, but right now we're kind of focused on the praise aspect. Now, the reason that this is so important is because we need the correct perspective. God is big. In in other Psalms, it talks about magnifying God and exalting God. When we magnify God, we are speaking of his, his magnitude, his bigness. When we exalt God, we're talking about his highness, how he is above every situation. So when we put our focus on God, our perspective is being um, 
Correct. It is correct because God is big and the problem is little. What often happens when we pray, and this is not good, what often happens is we put our problem in front of us instead of our great big God. And when we are praying through the problem, let's say there's a bad diagnosis, an incurable diagnosis, and that is in front of your face and you're taking that to God, it appears as if that problem is bigger than God. But that's not the true perspective. Let me give you an example of perspective. When I, I have two grandkids, and they're three and five years old, so they're little. When we go to their home in Nevada, they live um, in their backyard, um, way, way beyond their backyard, is a mountain range. And the mountain range is, of course, beautiful and huge and magnificent. But when I take a photo of my kids playing in the backyard, my little three and five-year-old look bigger in the picture than the mountains. But they're not. They're this tall. The mountains are, I wouldn't want to walk them. I wouldn't want to climb them. They're huge. But because of perspective, it appears like my grandkids are bigger in size. That's what happens when we pray with the focus on the problem. Our perspective is skewed. God is so much bigger. This is what I literally do when I pray. I often close my eyes when I pray because I want to have my, my, I want to have my eyes on Jesus. I want to have the, heart, the eyes of my heart on God. So I close my eyes and I see that problem behind God. I see my great big God right here in front of my face because it says I can come boldly to the throne of grace, face to face with God. So I see God right here. Sometimes I, I literally kneel on my, in my, by my prayer chair and I see that throne with Jesus or God sitting right in that chair and I'm right there at his feet. And I see that problem a long ways away, behind him, not in front of him, behind him. And I envision that problem tiny, tiny, like an ant. Because in comparison to God, that problem is tiny. So I want my perspective to be correct. The other thing that I focus on during this time of my prayer is Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus. So I do. This is probably the most time that I spend in prayer is this first part. Putting my eyes on God, reflecting who he is, putting my eyes on Jesus. And I remember the Bible says Jesus is the author and finisher of my faith. I don't have to author my faith. I don't have to work it up. And, And that in the um, Bible, different Bible translations of Hebrews 12.2, it doesn't just say author and finisher. It says author and developer and perfecter and finisher of my faith. So Jesus is there all the way through my journey, building, building, building my faith. And it has a good story. He's an author and he writes a good book and it has a good ending. So I focus on that piece. I focus on Jesus's ministry. And just like we already talked about, I see what Jesus did when he walked on this earth. I meditate on what Jesus did. In my case, I was diagnosed with cancer. The thing in the Bible, the disease in the Bible that I think is most closely related with cancer is leprosy. So I go to those scriptures about leprosy and I look at what Jesus did. My favorite one is the one where the leper came to Jesus and said, If you can, cleanse me. 
and I'm sorry, he said, if, if it's your will. I think he said, if it's your will, cleanse me. And Jesus said, it is my will. Be cleansed. And, I, and then I just meditate on what Jesus did. Jesus, you said it's your will. And you cleansed that leper. I received that same thing for me. So I meditate on what the, the instances are in the Bible, the accounts in the Bible. I also meditate on the passion of Jesus. Because that's where the price was paid. During his passion. When he went to that Garden of Gethsemane and he knew what was coming. And with love, with joy in obtaining the prize, he knew what was coming. He knew that the cross was coming tomorrow. He knew that he was going to be whipped almost to death the next day. He knew that. And he did it anyway. So I meditate on what Jesus did. Then I meditate on the, on the, on the passion where he was flogged for my healing where he was crowned with thorns, where he was um, uh, rejected and despised. I meditate on the death that he died as the perfect sacrifice for me so that I could be completely reconciled unto God. So that's a part of my prayer. What we're doing is we're focusing on Jesus and his finished work. We're focusing on the bigness of God. Then... Next, the next thing I do, and this is very, very important, is I come into agreement with God and with his word. I come into agreement with God and the will of God, which is the word of God. So let me read two scriptures for you right now. The first one is 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. When I read this, pay attention to the the confidence that we have when we know the will of God, the confidence that we carry. This is an effectual prayer. And this is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege of boldness which we have in him. We are sure that if we ask anything, make any request according to his will, in agreement with his own plan, he listens to and hears us. And if since we positively know that he listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have granted us as our present possessions the requests made of him. Doesn't that sound like a prayer with results? It says we know that we have the requests that we've asked. We know it. There's confidence. There's boldness. That confidence and boldness doesn't come from some superhero faith. That confidence and boldness comes through knowing God and knowing the will of God. Now, there's only one variable in here about this effective prayer. There's only one variable. There's, only, there's an if in there. And this is it. If we pray, if we ask anything according to his will, in agreement with his own plan. So you say, how do I know his will? Well, we don't always, depending on what the prayer request is. But there are so many times when there is a promise in the word that gives us his will. Healing is his will. We see, and again, I'm not going to continue to, to repeat myself. Look at Jesus. It is his will to heal. So if you have a promise, you can pray the will of God. 
So go to the Bible. This is a direction for you. Find God's word regarding your need. Find a promise regarding your need. And then come into agreement. Say, God, and this is what I do. I say, God, I, I just agree with your word. And here's the awesome thing. You don't have to understand it to believe it and agree with it. You have to make a choice and say, God, that's your living word. It's alive, it's powerful, and it is absolutely true. You are not a man that you should lie. This is truth. So I choose to believe it and agree with you. I'm just coming into agreement with you, God, and with your word. And when we do that, we are partnering with God. This is an effectual prayer because you are praying the will of God. Now, what does that look like? I take, well, I'm going to back up. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to read you another promise, and then I'll tell you what it looks like. I want to read you another amazing scripture in the word that talks about the will of God and agreeing with the will of God. This is 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So there's two parts to this scripture. The first part is says that all of the promises of God have been fulfilled in Christ. And God says yes to them. Let me explain. Everything in that precious gift of grace was prophesied in the Old Testament. Forgiveness was prophesied. Being reconciled unto God with no division was prophesied. Healing was prophesied. Peace, shalom, which includes a whole lot, was prophesied. Jesus, when he paid the price with his blood, all of that became complete. Those promises had been um, paid for. They had been purchased for us. And now they're ours. All of those promises had been fulfilled through Jesus. And because they're now fulfilled, God says yes to them. They're ours. It's our inheritance. So now we have a part to play. And that is the amen. Through Christ, our amen, because of what Jesus did and because we are now sons and daughters of the living God, our amen means so be it, God. Our amen is us partnering with him. Our amen is saying, yes, I agree with you. I agree with your word. I agree with your promise. I agree with your will. And Mary said this, the, the mother of Jesus said, let it be done to me according to your word. And that's what I love to say. God, here's your word. Here's your promise. I say, amen. Let it be done to me according to your word. I agree with you, God. So there's two beautiful scriptures about the promises. And when we agree with God, there's a result. So on your paper, this is on your paper. This, there's a don't and then there's a do. The don't is the fourth way that I want to share with you that is very ineffective. I've already kind of re, um, talked about it a little bit. This is what you, we don't want to do. Don't pray with the problem as the focus of your prayer. When you pray, when that problem is so big in your face and you're praying with that problem as your focus, what you're doing is, is you're energizing the problem. You're feeding the problem 
in your very prayer. You don't want to do that. Instead, pray God's promise over the problem. Now, this is where I'm going to get to. What does that look like? Sometimes we call it confessing the word. I don't like to call it confessing the word. That's just kind of too churchy. I like to say what I do when I, when I take healing scriptures, and the reason I'm he- holding these up is because these are three resources we have here, $2 a piece, just covers the cost of the book. And these little books have scriptures in them about healing taken from the Bible. Some of them are paraphrased scriptures. So they've got the, the scripture as the root, but then there's a prayer where they take the scripture and they turn it into a prayer. When we take these and we declare them or pray them over the problem, you're agreeing with God. When you take these scriptures and you declare them and you say, for example, there's a a beautiful scripture that says, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and quickens my mortal body. When I say that, I think, God, the same Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead That same power is in me to resurrect whatever needs resurrecting. Maybe you've got an organ that's not doing well. Maybe it's your liver. Maybe it's your heart. Maybe it's your knees. Say, God, resurrect it to new life, just like your word says. So you're taking the word of God and you're praying it over the situation in your body. You're agreeing with the word. You're agreeing with the promise. And you're declaring it over a specific situation in your life. So instead of just taking that big problem and saying, oh, dear God, this is my problem. Please heal me. You are taking the promise of God, letting it build you up because it's a good promise. It's a good word. He loves us so much. And then declaring it over your problem. That is an effectual prayer. It's a really effectual prayer. And then I've even, well, Let me read this. I'm sorry, I keep getting ahead of myself. This kind of prayer releases life. Like I already said, this is the bridge. It releases life from the spiritual realm into the natural realm. It is an effective prayer that releases the power of God to impact the circumstances, to have an effect, to avail much. And here's another another Bible scripture that gives evidence to that. It's Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. This word says, for as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, making it bare and sprout and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, useless or without result, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter from which I sent it. So this word, God's talking about the power of his word. He says, it's not going to return void. It's powerful. It's effectual. And he compares the power of his word to rain and snow. He says, when rain and snow falls to the earth, it it does something. It falls to the earth. It waters the ground. It doesn't fall and then go back up without doing its work. It falls to the ground. It waters the ground. And if there's seed, the seed is, is nourished. The seed sprouts, the seed grows, the seed produces harvest. And that's what he said his word does. He said it doesn't return void. Now God, it's got capital letters, so that's God speaking about his word. 
God speaking his word and seeing the results. When Jesus, or when God created everything, he spoke and it became. He said, light be and light was. We're created in the image of God. And he's given us that same gift. When we speak his word, it's powerful. And he says it won't return void. It won't be canceled out. It won't be useless. But it will accomplish what it was sent to do. There's great power in that word. So finding the word, the promise, speaking it, declaring it over the situation, powerful, effective prayer. And here's another addendum. Here's another nugget. This is a good one. We can also decree a word. The definition of decree, it's on your paper. The definition of decree is a decree carries legal authority with it to be performed. And this is a spiritual authority. It carries a legal spiritual authority to be performed. Let me read a scripture for you. This is Job twenty-two twenty-eight. You shall also decide and decree a thing and it shall be established for you. And the And the light of God's favor shall shine upon your ways. God says, decree a thing and it will come to pass. So I use those words in the spiritual realm. I'm using the authority that I have as a believer. God has given us authority and power as believers. And I decree a thing. I use the word of God because I want to make sure I'm in the will of God. So I use the word of God and then I decree that to come to pass in my life. For example, I might say, God, you say in your word that by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. So I take that word and I decree that word comes to pass in my body. Lymphatic system, be healed. I decree healing in my lymph node system. Maybe you need healing in your knees. Do the same thing. I decree healing in my knees. I decree resurrection life. Whatever it is, make that decree. It is a powerful spiritual force. Okay, the next part of the effectual prayer, speaking to the mountain, speaking to the mountain. We've looked at magnifying God, getting ourselves in the proper perspective, agreeing with his word, and now we're going to look at speaking to the mountain. Mark 11, verse 22 through 24, Jesus is teaching about faith. He says, have faith in God constantly. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart in God's unlimited power, but believes that what he says is going to take place, it will be done for him in accordance with God's will. For this reason, I'm telling you, whatever things you ask for in prayer in accordance with God's will, believe with confident trust that you have received them and they'll be given to you. So again, this is the amplified translation, but it's important that when we speak and believe, it is the promise or the will of God, the word of God. But he says, speak to that mountain. Speak to that mountain. And when you believe, and it is in accordance with God's will, here's another promise. You will receive that thing that you've spoken. He doesn't tell us to go to him and ask him to move the mountain. He tells us to speak to the mountain. So this is another way you'll hear us pray. And and we encourage you to pray because it's effective. It's powerful. A couple weeks ago, we were in Florida. 
And I was teaching a little mini version of this teaching there. And so I was teaching about speaking to the mountain and I, I demonstrated it. So I started speaking to knees. I wasn't praying for anybody there. I was just speaking to knees. And, I, and that's what I'm going to do right now. So I started saying, knees, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to the mountain right now. A mountain is any problem in your life. It could be an insurmountable problem, but it could also be a little tiny problem. Whatever. Right now I'm speaking to knees. Knees, I'm speaking to you. And I'm telling you, I have some good news for you. Here's my good news. God says in his word that my youth is renewed. So knees, you're not going to get weak with old age. You're going to be able to squat and stand up with no problem, no problem with mobility, no problem with pain. Knees, good news. You are whole, you are strong because Jesus paid the price for wholeness in my body. Jesus paid the price for, for renewed youth in my body. And I just speak to my knees. So when I was in Florida, I did that. At the end of the meeting, people got up to leave and this woman got up her knees were healed. She had all kinds of issues in her knees. I had spoken over knees and she came into agreement. When she got up, she couldn't, she could do things she wasn't able to do for a long time. She was so excited. She was dancing. She was running. She was bending and moving her knees that she hadn't been able to do that for a long, long time. There's power in speaking to the mountain. So that's another powerful way to pray. So talk to your mountain. Talk to your mountain about your great big God. Talk to your mountain and tell it to move. Tell it to wither and die. Tell it to be um, destroyed. Tell it to get out. Whatever it is, speak to your mountain and continue to speak to it. And then the next part, finish your prayer with thanksgiving. Thank God for what he's done before you even see it come to pass. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So in the midst of your prayer, thank him for what he's already done. Thank him for what his word says he's done before you even see it. Remember, it's already done in the spiritual realm. And we're getting it over the bridge from the spiritual into the natural. Now there's one more piece on your paper because this is very important. And that is to never give up. Be persistent. Be consistent. In Luke 18.1, Jesus taught a parable. And this is how he started. He says, he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. There are two different parables where he's teaching about persistent prayer. The word persistent means steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay. So that purpose of persistent prayer isn't to make God move. It's not if I pray consistently and persistently that then God's going to do something. No, that's not what it's for because God's already done it. The, pur- the purpose of persistent prayer is for us. The purpose of persistent prayer is to build us up in our most holy faith. As we pray the word of God, as we meditate on a scripture, it just grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in our heart. The purpose of that prayer is to grow in the knowing of his word. And that word knowing, I'm not just talking about knowing here. I'm talking about getting pregnant with it. 
getting big and pregnant with his word. It, when we pray that persistent prayer, we come to know the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the plan and the purpose of God. And it anchors our faith. That faith muscle just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So the purpose of persistent prayer is for us. I want to go back now to James 5.16, the same scripture about fervent, effectual, rocket fuel prayer. And this is from the Amplified Bible. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, a believer, can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. That's what happens when we pray. That's when God can do something with it, when we have that heartfelt rocket fuel, out of this world kind of prayer. When we are connecting to the God of the universe, not on our playing ground, but on his. And we are literally praying heaven to earth. The very next scripture after James 5, 16 is a scripture about effective prayer. It's about Elijah. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, with the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. He wasn't perfect. He had all kinds of limitations. But he prayed intensely for it not to rain, and it didn't rain on the earth for three and a half years. But the next scripture I'm going to read is a beautiful example of persistent prayer. This scripture is from Kings... 1 Kings 18, verse 41 through 45. And this is when, after three and a half years, he started to pray for it to rain. Listen to this. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah, he didn't go eat and drink. He climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed low to the ground, and he prayed with his face to the ground. And then he said to his servant, so now go and go and look toward the seas. The servant went. And my eyes just went out on me. No, they didn't. He went and he looked. And then he returned to Elijah and he said, I don't see anything. Seven times, seven times, Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising up from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry, hurry, go tell King Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home, because if you don't, the rain will stop you. As soon as, and soon, the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. So he prayed seven times. The first six times he saw no results. The seventh time he saw this tiny, tiny, tiny change. That's all it took. When he saw that tiny little cloud, he got all excited. He said, there it is. There's the rainstorm. You better hurry because you're going to get caught in this huge storm. And that's exactly what happened. He prayed in faith. He continuously, persistently prayed. Now you see us do that here. Last week, there was a woman sitting right in that chair. <laughs> she had, we had a word of knowledge for the neck and for the, the shoulder. She said she stood up for prayer. She said that she had a level 10 pain. She had excruciating pain. We started praying for her. 
In a minute, we stopped and said, where's the pain now? And she says, it's a little bit less. It was like a seven or an eight. So what did we do? We said, okay, that's awesome. We praised God and we started praying again. The next time we stopped and asked her, it was down way low to like a three or a four. And then we prayed again. After the third time we prayed, the pain was at level zero. That's persistent, consistent, fervent, effectual prayer that avails much, that has results. Now, we don't always see that. Many times we see something, though, like that little cloud. We see something. God gives us a word. God gives us encouragement. God gives us something. And we take that and we just praise him for it and we continue with persistent, consistent prayer. So I want to close with this last scripture. And I pray, Father God, I pray that this word right now goes deep into our spirit, goes deep into us and resides there. Because we know that we know that we know that your will is for us to be well. Hebrews 10, verse 35 and 36 says, Do not, therefore, fling away your fearless confidence, for it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. For you have need of steadfast patience and endurance, so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God, and thus receive and carry away and enjoy to the full what is promised. It's yours. It's yours. And you will carry it away to the full. You will see the result of the will of God that you're praying in your life, Suzette. I believe it for you. I believe it with you with all my heart. And that goes for everybody that's here believing God for what their own need is. And it might be a whole bunch of needs, but whatever it is, God is the answer. And effective, fervent prayer, rocket fuel prayer, guys. It is powerful. It is powerful. So.